History will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. Martin Luther King Jr. Bending, Not Breaking, Season 7, Episode 3, The Coronation. And we're back for another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And I'm Ben. And we are talking more Legend of Korra, book four. Gotta love it. And more things are happening. We are starting to see the turn. Kuvira is coming. Yeah, this and is she's making herself there. known. This is where it becomes like overt, I think. You know, in the beginning, we're like, how do we feel about Kuvira? And now I think this episode is really where the uh audiences opinions of kuvira start to solidify a bit yeah we 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 have some uh some moral quandaries that are coming up just a few (laughs) just a few (laughs) some moments of uh a fork in the road if you will just Uh, a little fork (laughs) just a little divergence are you on the side of fascism or um but well, it's uh, it's interesting and and there's a lot to talk about. So I'm excited yeah. to jump into it. Uh, we're gonna look through this episode through a lens of transition. That's right. Talk to me about that. What is what is that? Yeah, I think at it, at its most basic, transition is uh, going from one state to another. And it can be you you can ex- extrapolate that to many things that when I think about transition, you know, a lot of what I'm learning in school, we're talking a lot about transitions, actually, in, in social work, thinking about specifically transitions over the life cycle. So, you know, a lot of our work in, in learning about people is learning about the life of a person and the transition from birth, really, to really even in utero to birth, to the transition of learning language and how that changes the body and the mind, and then the transitions of learning new skills, the transition of going from infant to toddler to child to queen, teen, adult, middle adult. Like they're, Each of these stages of our lives have uh, biological implications as well as sociological implications that I think are really worth considering. And so we are honestly kind of constantly transitioning throughout our lives and boiling it down as we look at this episode will be really interesting to think about not only what is happening literally event wise in the show, but where are people in their lives that allow them to see these events differently than other people. And so I think that'll be something we we definitely are able to tap into. Yeah, they're all understanding how we respond to that transitioning is going to be a part of this conversation, right? Well, there's some characters who go through that. But yeah, the perspective that you're talking about, um, how someone looks at Bolin's situation. Yeah. Tenzin's going to have a different perspective than Mako, who's going to have a different perspective than Korra. Would have, and so that has a different perspective than Kuvira or even... Um, my man, the inventor, the why can't I think of his name off the top of my tongue? Julie, do the oh, thing. Varric, <laughs> thank you. Um, Varric's perspective and the way that he's just like, dude. Um, yeah, no, we're on the right side of this because this is a side that makes money. Um, and yeah. so, like, we'll see how different perspectives lead into what this transition is and and how that how they navigate that. So, but before we do that. Yeah, well, I was also just before we before we transition, <laughs> uh, I think one of the things that I'm I'm thinking about, too, is uh, going meta a bit, the how the audience views it. Right. Yeah. The, when you are a 10 year old child watching this uh, is going to you're going to receive this differently because of your transitions in life than, you know, as a 30 two year old like me or as someone who's older. So I think that it impacts the viewer. It impacts the the people interacting in the show. Lots and lots of things are, are playing a role here. And so let's get into it. 30 seconds on the clock. You have got to 
Cover everything. Cover everything in a recap. Are you ready? I mean, we'll be fine. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, 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 okay. So the coronation's almost here, and Kuvira has, like, stolen Prince Wu's suite. Can you believe it? And then there's no real crown jewels that have been left, and there's, except for an earring. And so Wu is like, cool, 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 that sucks. But here we go. We're going to give Kuvira the, the Kiyoshi medal, which she then... Halfway there. And that's terrible. And then the people are like, cool, that's awesome. And then Sue's pretty mad, and then Mako and Bolin fight about it. And then Wu decides to shop to feel better, and then doesn't read the room, and Mako protects him, and... Then Cora is Tuff's punching bag, and Three, metal's still in two, there, and then she, maybe one, she's producing the Avatar. Zero. There is still metal in Cora. Yeah, that was a big moment. Oh, uh, the big the reveal. Utter, the utter relief that Cora feels when she hears that is Ooh. probably one of my favorite moments. Going through some form of like chronic illness. Um, almost can feel like a constant transition you never get to feel like you are in a place of normality you're never in a place of like stability and so it yep. almost just feels like a constant transition exactly and the idea of getting like a diagnosis that is correct yes or that is helpful um yeah. the relief that that can feel like and so we see that in Cora in this moment yeah like this and idea of oh there are there's something that is causing this that we can identify that maybe we'll fix it and that's a really nice feeling to have. Yeah. And I, there are just so many stories out there of people who go to the doctor. The doctor's like, everything seems normal. And you know something is wrong, but like the world is unintentionally gaslighting you because they can't find the answer. Right. And it's this constant like, am am I, am I, is this internal? Is this in my head? Is this thing? And it turns out that there's a real cause for this. It's such a relief. And like you've been again, I, I think you said it really well, living in this limbo space of like I'm I can't land on my feet. It doesn't feel right. I can't feel like I'm quote home in my body. And then as soon as you figure out, you realize, oh, this has been real. I'm not imagining this. And it gives you somewhere to like a foundation to stand on, right? I think that's just really huge, and it's just, what a what a beautiful moment. That constant state of transition, right? It's just that transition is meant to be a transition. It's not meant to be the entirety, right? It's not meant to yeah. be entire. It's meant to get from one state to another, and so feeling stuck in that um, can certainly cause issues. Yeah. And, you know, it reminds me of, you know, journeying in a way too, right? We like some equate the, our life to a, just a journey. It's not about, it's not about the destination, right? It's the journey to get there. But there are, there's also that feeling of like, I'm a homebody. Like I like to be at home <laughs> and I like to, you know, have that comfort of being at the place that I have nested and, when I am constantly traveling, I just become drained because I have, it feels like I don't have a place to recover. And I feel like that's what tra being in constant transition is like, is that you aren't ever, ever really able to get back to what feels like a hundred percent. You're constantly drained. You're constantly unable to, to get back to what feels right. And then just imagine that that's exactly what Cora is feeling. You know? It's a checkpoint. It's a save point, right? Like there's uh, I, the way you explained it makes me think of getting sleep at the end of the day. Like your body has to like reset and get sleep. And when you're in that constant state of transition, there's no sleep. It's just it's yeah. there's no there's no checkpoint. There's no save point. There's no stopping for a moment to recenter. Yeah. Um, and so. Yeah. What an interesting moment. And, and how do you feel like, that Toph handles this? Because there are moments where I'm like, yes, yes, correct snaps it off and then there are moments Agreed. where i'm like no like where there are moments where i'm like you're literally just using her as a punching bag for funsies yeah um and honestly i think that's true i think that Toph is like i'm gonna i'm gonna derive some joy from this experience right i this is something that i want to do this is something that uh reminds me of my youth it keeps me i feel alive when i get to do this and I think there's probably a, a story in there of like, this is helpful, right? It's just tough love kind of a deal. But in reality, it feels like this, that she's doing part of this 
for her rather than for Cora, which, you know, I never want to treat somebody poorly at for, for my benefit. And part of me is like, I love that, you know, Toph is, Toph has lived a long life and Toph is doing something for her. And like, there's this weird tug for me of like, good for you, but also like, I don't like that. <laughs> it's this like, does that make sense? It's but even feel. when she's training Aang, there's similar feelings, right? Like that was exactly. helpful. That's not helpful. Um, you know, I thought you were going to, that's right. You were thinking that's what's wrong. Okay. That's not a helpful learning comment, right? Like yeah. that's not a, no one is getting benefit that doesn't shift anything. Yeah. Um, her, her pedagogical methods are all, we've definitely talked about this before. Like even when she was uh, with Ang <laughs> have, have never been like really great. Um, they, they, she has a means to an end and this is the way she knows how to get there. She she doesn't necessarily know that it's going to work. She's just kind of irascible, and this is the way that she is, and that's okay with her, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's interesting. Yeah. What what's a moment for you that comes up? So, I there's a there's a lot of really interesting dynamics here. I think we should probably go to like. Let's go to the big one and see we can we can talk. And so this idea of uh, the coronation being a transition of power, mm -hmm. uh, it's been three years since the Earth Queen went down and there has not been a, a coronation since then. That's three years without this nation having a, a leader, which is like unheard of in most countries today. Right. That there is a clear succession of power um, where if this happens, this immediately happens. Um, and there are shows even about like, what if the first 25 happened to be gone for the United States? Like, what was the what was the show called? designated survivor, the designated survivor in the event of something going wrong? Like, this is the person. And it turned out like and so um, that's Sutherland. Was that 24 yeah, for Sutherland? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but moral of the story is the fact that this country has gone three years without someone in, in charge has been, of course, the people are thanking Kuvira, right? Of course, they are like, thank goodness someone stepped up, right? Because the system has made it so that I, I don't know what to do. Like the system has failed me. And so thank goodness that this person has stepped up to prevent crime to have like things repercussions for doing something wrong um and so I, this is something that i've been thinking about and like why do people cheer when kuvira says very clearly problematic things why are they cheering and i think that's the reason why it benefits them exactly they they stand to benefit from that move whether or not that is what is best for the community or for the people the folks that are there that are cheering for Kuvira are the ones that are standing to benefit from that process. Varric is the answer. Varric is an answer to that, right? Like Varric, who is, I'm going to assume not very in touch with community. Uh, <laughs> it never really has been yeah. due to multiple areas of privilege for Varric. Um, no, I feel good about this. The train's coming and we own the track and exactly. And I I'm, I'm happy sitting on the train. You should be happy too. Bolin has a different perspective as someone who has grown up on the streets, has a large family in that community that has lived in poverty, has now proximity to wealth and fame and power. Um, and so he's more on the line, but ultimately is still kind of convinced by this manipulation tactic from Kavira of like, don't you believe in the work that we've been doing? Because the work that he's seeing is I give food to people. Exactly. He's not seeing the you don't have a choice. And if you don't do these things, I'm going to kill you and your people um, or I'm going to set up blockades to actively harm you. Right. He's not seeing any of that. And even without that context, he's still kind of hesitant to the language and the in the terminology exactly. that's being used. Um, but yeah. it's easily yanked into that because he's still probably got that safety net. Um, so I, I think that the dynamic here that's most interesting to me is 
the idea of transition and then what resists that transition. And the idea of resistance is really fascinating because if we think about it internally and go back to the original thing we talked about with Toph and, and Cora, like Toph talks about how you still have the metal in you. And then when Toph tries to extract it, she's like, you're resisting me. It wouldn't be so painful if you didn't resist. And I think that's an incredibly important metaphor for us to kind of think about and, and put that into uh, conversation with this thing with Kuvira, right? Um, this idea of of transitions of power, right? Where Kuvira has agreed with President Raiko, they have a verbal agreement that says she's going to step down, and she's been doing this for three years now. Things have changed; they haven't had that conversation again. And Wu being like, okay, this is going to go my way. The transition for me is good. But as soon as it starts to not go well for him, he resists it at every turn. And so it's interesting to think about we resist transition when it doesn't benefit us. Or when and we feel like it doesn't is not going to benefit us. Correct. Or if there's something that it, we are under the impression exactly that it will not benefit us. And so thinking about when people resist things, when people push back, when people get defensive, those are indicators that something is in transition. Something is changing. How do we identify what the change is that this person is resisting so that we can better address it? In this moment with Kuvira you're talking about with Bolin, Bolin's like, I don't know. I, th that felt really like I felt uncomfortable by how you handled that. She appeals to his values. She goes to straight to, okay, what, why is he resisting? Why is he not in favor of this transition? And she goes right to the heart of it and says, this seems like a values issue. Do you not believe in the values we've been working on forever? And like, I think that she's so good at diagnosing where that uh, resistance is coming from that she's able to man manipulate Bolin really well. Um, and I think that's a, a helpful thing for us to consider too, is how do we diagnose where that resistance is coming from. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's a she's good at it. And yeah. um you see that he latches onto that then because then it becomes a morality issue for him, right? We're doing this because yep. it's right, which then makes it when he gets challenged later so confrontational because now Mako's not just attacking Kuvira She's tacking his morals by extension. Exactly. That's why this conflict between Mako and Bolin is really interesting, right? So Bolin's like, hey, Mako, like, let's talk about this. And Mako's like, I don't know, man, this seems pretty bad. And that, like, curiosity, even, he's not, like, outwardly condemning Bolin at all. But just because he is attacking Kuvira by questioning it makes it so that it feels like an attack on his values. Mm -hmm. And so Kuvira has addressed this in such a way that Bolin is kind of wrapped around her finger and does the work for her in a way of defending the values by putting it in that framework. And it's, it's quite fascinating. Well, it's, it's one of those things that's super interesting because like Kuvira says, like I provide stability and I provide equality and these things that like, in a vacuum, we're like, yeah, that who doesn't Already. want stability and who doesn't want equal footing for the people that are in the in our community. Um, but that's not what she's she's at, she's actively not creating that. She's creating a uh, power for herself. Yeah, she is creating a place where she decides how to disseminate stuff. Community is not deciding how to disseminate resources. Um, she's getting to decide who deserves to live and die or fight for the cause. Right. Like this is stuff that we when we talked about this kind of at the very beginning of the first episode, like yeah. she is acting in a way that is not for what is the betterment of community. It's for the betterment of herself. Um, she might think it is, but she is also willing to say, if you're not willing to join in on my views, exactly. then you don't get to be a part of this community. Um, and that's different. Yeah, <laughs> that's a different thing. What comes to mind specifically regarding that is this idea of you know, when she's talking to Bolin, she says, the last thing that I want is for this to come to conflict. But what she doesn't say is that 
but I'm absolutely willing to, to to go into conflict in order to get what I want. A hundred percent. If anyone right? said, if anyone crosses me, I'm going to crush them. Right. The like. Yeah. So you can, um, you can frame it that like, oh, I, I, I would, I really don't want this. This is the last thing that I want. But, but I was willing <laughs> to say it on national airwaves that I'm that I will do it. But I will do it for the sake of the Earth Kingdom, right. for the sake of what the the United Republic that I am trying to create, the greater good. I'm willing to put aside my wants in order to get what I want. Right? It's this really weird saying of, like, I believe her. I I think that she doesn't want conflict. I truly believe that she thinks that. But I think that she's putting such a higher premium on the stability of the Earth Kingdom in her eyes that she's willing to forego her wants and needs and thinks everybody else should do the same thing in order to get this vision that she has for the world. Right. Uh, It almost creates resentment towards people, i.e. this this whole experience with Batar and Sue. Right. Where. I'm putting aside my wants and needs for the betterment of the earth, earth nation. Why aren't you right? And I think that's what's causing such conflict between family members, between Sue and Batar. Right. And she, and she does it by convincing. There's certain things that you say that she agrees with, right. Or that, that at least I agree with as an audience. Yeah, of like, absolutely. Why are we passing power down in a, in a lineage standpoint when that's not necessarily who's going to be the best leader for, you know, us, and provide us with what we need kings and kings being passed down by bloodline ain't working let's not do it yeah i can get behind that right like that's easy um but still the methods of how we achieve that 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 society that she's looking for she's willing to go violently into the night doing it and that's just not how how it plays i want to go back to cora and the metal getting pulled out because I think you lifted it up and there's such an understanding of how hard it is to transition to something new, even if it may be better, but because it's different from where I currently am at. That might feel bad in moments, but like I'm still alive, right? And so um, that struggle, so like when Toph says like, you are, you do not want me to pull this out. I don't think that's a conscious decision, but subconsciously, absolutely. We've been in a place like this where it's like, 100%. this is not a good place for you to be. You need to get out of it. And you're like, well, at least the devil I know versus the devil I don't. So like, yeah, I'm going to stick with this one. Um, and so I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I think that is a, a thing that we all do of I don't know what I know versus what I don't know. I'm more comfortable with what I know, and so I'm sticking with it, even if it's harming me. Um, and that's a tough place to get out of. Yeah, the things that I'm thinking about is, you know, in in change, in transition within people, there is often uh, a, there are stages, right? And when I want to make a change. There are there's pre-contemplation where this is like subconscious. There's contemplation where I'm like, oh, I'm starting to actually think about this change, right? And then there's action, and there, so there's there's this like series of steps to actually enacting change, and then relapse is one of them. And so like when when we're thinking about this too, Cora has been constantly like in this contemplation stage of I, I want to get out of the pain that I'm feeling. But really in terms of what Toph is framing it as and gives us really beautiful insight into is maybe, maybe Cora doesn't want to get better because it means she's going to have to re-experience the possibility that she could be hurt again. And I think that that is like a, for me, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, crap, <laughs> like that, that, that rings real close to home. And I did not. Yeah. Want to. And I, and I, I wonder, like, that's why Cora hears that. And it's like, what do, you, what do you mean? But as someone who's going into clinical work, this is so real where people will 
um, be called out for behavior, things that they're doing, things that they're resisting and not realize that they're doing it. And then like, we can, like, we can't do the work for people. People have to do the work. The only thing that we can do is say, Hey, this is what I see you doing. This is the behavior I see. Like I can offer interventions, but you have to do, you have to do the work of it. And I think that's really interesting for this dynamic and this metaphor that we're trying to utilize here with, with Toph is like, I can try to pull it out, but if you don't let me, then I'm, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to put you through this extreme pain because it's going to do more harm than good to force you when you're ready. I will be able to help you or you can do it yourself. Right. Now this is the second episode in a row. Someone has told Cora, like I can help. I can be supportive, but I can't do it for you. Um, and so that's the second time that point has come in two episodes. And so at a certain point, Cora's gotta gotta do that, right? So um, but yeah, just a really that whole moment of her because uh, there's almost like a there's almost like a giddiness or a um this idea that is around maybe putting all her eggs in the basket of, oh, it's all the metal, right? There's a level of like, excitement. It's like, oh, you found metal in me? Great. Take it out. That, that's good. That's, that's it. That's everything that's been wrong with me. And, that, and that's not the case. That is just something that is a barrier currently. Huge barrier. And But how often do we do that when it comes to times of transition? All right. Cool. When I, you know, get this, when I, when I get this new job, my happiness will change. When I buy my house, this happiness will change. When I um, get into a relationship, my happiness level will change. Um, I just got to get through this thing. And, and so, you know, those are the types of things where it's like, you know, like those might be barriers or things that are causing stress and anxiety. And so it's helpful to get them off of your plate. But there's still a level of you've got to do the work to get there. Yes. Um, and like something like shelter, huge anxiety level, right? And so a huge relief yeah. of finding shelter. Um, and that is not the only thing that's going to contribute to your mental health long term, but it certainly is a, is a massive one, but there's, that's not all the work, right? So getting the metal out of her body, massive help, not a hundred percent of the work that needs to be done there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, there's, there's so much that needs to be done and. I'm I'm wondering what uh, there's there's just it's easy for us to kind of use this one thing as a, a scapegoat almost for the the work we are trying not to do, and I still think there's a lot of emotional work that Cora has to to work through in order to really embrace being uh, the avatar right? And whatever that means for her moving forward. But I think being able to embrace what it means to be the avatar in this new stage of her life is something that she still has to grapple with. And the metal is only one step of that process. The other character that I want to dive into is Prince Wu and how he is responding to all of this transition in this moment. And I, and I think it's similar to Cora or maybe holding on to the, it, to the, to the metal, but how would, how we react when change happens that we are unexpected, that we are unexpected of, or, uh, Hey, my entire life has brought me to this moment and been trained for this moment. And now that ain't a thing anymore. <laughs> so how do I respond? And sometimes that's me going and grabbing, uh, a buffet and sitting in a, fake throne room to feel like I'm comfortable in this moment, right? They're just running away. Um, but what do you kind of put up for Prince Wu and, and his reaction to losing the presidential suite, not getting the, the coronation ceremony he wants, uh, getting ridiculed uh, by someone else, and then everything that you thought your life was going to be is absolutely gone. Uh, and so how does that how does how do we respond to that type of change? Yeah, the thing that comes up for me that I really appreciate is Mako's question. Do you even want to be king? And I, I think that 
Prince Wu has like been living this life of like, well, this is just how it's going to be. And there's this moment where he talks about it. He's like, it's not going to be that hard. I have all the advisors do all the work. Like he's for him, this transition is easy because he's just getting more and more uh, elevated in his eyes. And he's like, everyone loves me. I'm the king and I'm going to be king and I'm great. And I think that when he realizes that uh, and starts to actually question like whether he really wants the responsibility then he's like, ah, maybe I don't want this, right? And I think that question probably lives with him moving forward. And I think it was really apt uh, and honest of Mako to ask it. But I think that this transition initially is difficult because all of his expectations have been like leading to this moment. Like it's been three years, right? He's been waiting for coronation day for three years. And I like we talked, it, it was supposed to be a six hour ceremony six hours i hate <laughs> it i i hate it and <laughs> i would hate me. it i would hate being there i would hate i would hate every aspect of that like, like going goodness. to disney and only seeing a parade like ugh. <laughs> yeah here i am being like thank goodness kuvira made her speech because that would have been a rough day like <laughs> but i i think what's really interesting about this is thinking about how Instead of changing this ritual that has clearly like been passed down for generations of like, this is what the coronation should be asking, saying, hey, we just experienced an, like a national crisis. We've lost all the crown jewels. We've lost all of the things that make it so that transitioning to being the king all of those things have been lost. Why are we trying to recreate this ritual instead of design something new? And Part of me is like, no, ritual is really helpful in this case because, you know, it helps us retap into the history and the the importance of those things. But at the same time, like, but why was that designed that way in the first place? What is it trying to perpetuate? And what we're what we're seeing is Prince Wu trying to hold on to power and privilege and it's being taken away and he's being a whiny butt. That, so that's that's what I'm thinking about this. And, and, and yeah, the question from Mako of like, what have you done for the people? Yes. And, and I'll give Prince Wu his credit. No one's ever talked to me like that before. That's a good question. Right. Let's, let's get out of here. Right. Like that's the last we kind of see of them in the moment. But the ability to say like, oh. Thank you for that feedback. Super yeah. helpful. This is a super. This is the first time we've seen humility, I think, from Prince Wu. Uh, this at all and so you know i i come back to the idea of feedback is a function of respect and the absolutely. fact that, the fact that Wu hasn't received this kind of feedback before tells me that the people around him aren't necessarily like respecting his his role or him in this role and frankly it it's a self-perpetuating cycle because if like you are always like bolstered up through uh like people just like acquiescing everything you request ask for and just doing everything that you say without question then you're going to continue to act like that's okay and that's how Wu has been trained <laughs> right and so part of me doesn't judge him for this because if no one has ever spoke to him like this before then of course he's going to act like the way he's acting it makes sense why you know like in I, I i'm certainly not condoning the behavior but i i am saying that like i have a lot more grace for why you're acting the way you're acting because clearly no one's ever told you that that's not okay <laughs> right you know, how can we transition if we don't know that we need to how can we make a transition if no one ever tells us and helps us see that the way things currently are is problematic and i think that's what happens a lot especially what we see in this episode with Prince Wu. Ooh. Absolutely. Yeah, there's just a lot going on. Oh man. What uh, else uh, what else do you have to lift up before we jump into our next sections as we wrap up the the episode? I have two small things that I I want to touch on. Um, Let's talk about them. One is I, I made it. I have made an observation that I'd, I'd like to hear your re re thoughts on, which is with Bolin and 
uh, the women in his life. Mm -hmm. Specifically, let's let's do a, a chronological look through at his uh, dating interests and the people he spends time with. So, first person Cora. that we love he's interested in is Cora. Yep, right, very strong woman especially in season one she is like assertive and um confident old right then you know we get to eska right who is assertive bold powerful then we get to ginger who is in the sense of power dynamic with bolin has a higher power dynamic because she's the one saying no She's the one able to resist Bolin mm -hmm. has a higher status theoretically than Bolin does. And so again, in terms of uh, powerful, she's bold. She's like, absolutely not. I have no interest in you. Then, you know, we, we, we get to Kuvira who is, well, don't, I'm Opal. not saying we're romantically involved with Kuvira. Right now, but Opal and Opal. Yes. So Opal being the outlier. Yeah. Right. But he's not spending time with Opal. Not right now. And right. Yeah. He's with he's spending time with Kuvira. And so I'm really interested in this uh, through line here of who Bolin is interested in, in terms of the woman in his life. And he really seems drawn to strong, powerful women, which like on one hand, I'm like, absolutely. That's that's incredible. And on the other yeah. hand, most of the time, it's a little problematic. Um, so, in in the theme of transition, I'm 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 wondering in our own lives, how do we begin to notice patterns uh, uh, around what we do, who we spend time with, um, and start to question those patterns to wonder if transition is needed or if it is something that we want to continue, right? Does that make sense as a question? No, I think it's a great question. And I, we've said it before in, in past episodes, and it's been an overarching theme of all the content that we've made through this podcast, uh, awareness yes. and having an awareness. And so Absolutely. your question is, how do we have that awareness? Because yeah, the awareness is important. How do we cultivate it? Reflection, uh, journaling, things that like we write off as like, yeah, that's, well, that's frilly stuff. That is really time for us to sit there and, and catch these things and check ourselves. And are we offering the most generous assumption? So even of ourselves, right? We talk about offering the most generous assumption. And so if you notice like, all right, cool. I, I've noticed this. This was not a great relationship. It didn't work out well. This other relationship wasn't a great relationship. It didn't work out well. What is the, what is the, the, the through line? But sometimes it just takes reflecting and asking ourselves that question. Am I happy? What am I doing here? Um, is this where I want to be? Whatever it might be, but that that qu questioning ourselves, giving the most generous assumption of others, doing things like journaling and, and having a contemplative, meditative time for ourselves, all super beneficial to help garnering that awareness in moments like this. Asking close friends for trends that they see, yeah, um, and and and, and um, and again, so that I I think back to like this the the inch by inch sheet of paper. How many names can you fit on it? And those are your, that's your inner circle. It shouldn't be any more than like, yeah, you know, three to five people. Uh, those really trusted folks that are going to be honest with you that are also going to be compassionate. But, you know, hey, what is the trend you're seeing in my behavior? Um, all great ways of garnering that, that type of awareness. Um, and yeah, cause for like Bolin's dating, like there's certain things about it where it's just like, we've talked about his problematic behaviors with ginger specifically yeah um he was on the wrong end of some uh problematic behaviors uh with eska For sure. um in the second season y you know opal is one that has been super sweet and is super strong in her own right uh she might not be the uh combative individual that um he seems to be attracted to in in past seasons but She's certainly strong and assertive and, and willing to give her opinion. Um, and so it's, you know, garnering, yeah. garnering that awareness, I think, for me, is, is how it's, it's, it's through contemplative reflection. It's through asking our peers that are close to us for feedback. I think those are the best ways to kind of garner that awareness. 
Yeah. And yet, even though I find it so interesting and I don't know if it's indicative of anything, but I find it really interesting that he is in relationship with Opal and yet has made this decision to be with Kuvira, not romantically, but he is still drawn to this in in some way. And so I'm I'm finding it really interesting that he and Opal are having struggles because of who he's choosing to spend his time with. Um, so again, there's, there's, there might be something there, there might not be, but I'm noticing a pattern and I'm wondering if other people in his life are noticing that pattern as well. Well, it's interesting in those times of transitions for good or for bad, and it doesn't necessarily make someone a bad person, but it is a decision that he's making. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is fair of Opal to say, I I don't want to be a part of that decision. It doesn't make you a bad person for making it. Um, cause I'll give, I try to give Bolin and, and all the characters the benefit of the doubt. I think he's making yeah. a decision that he thinks is best for the world. Um, but it's not outside of Op- Opal's perspective to be like, yeah, but I have zero interest in being a part of that. Right. Like you made that choice. That's cool. That's just, I think you're wrong. And I, yep. I, that's not something I'm willing to be in relationship with. I think it's super fair. Um, and sometimes it is, I think you're wrong and I'm not willing to be in relationship with someone who's engaging in the community that way um also a super fair response yes so So that's one that i was like that was percolating through my mind throughout this episode as we had a lot of interaction between bolin and his people the second thing is just this last scene at the very end where tenzin is sending out his children to uh find cora right and i find it really you know, he's been very protective since season one of Korra of his children. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very much against giving Janora her tattoos originally. Uh, Milo doesn't ask for them this episode, but asks for his tattoos this season. And he's like, absolutely not. <laughs> and it's like one of those things where like they have they have aged like they are. I think Janora They're older is how old is Janora? I think she's like, you know, 13 ish. Probably. This Milo is probably nine, right? You think he's probably five or six when they first meet him? Like Exactly. So, you know, thinking about this increase in age that they have now transitioned into this capacity they have now to begin um, serving the world with their abilities, right? And he sends them out in a group. And it's really interesting to think about the transition of a parent with their children who have abilities that can help the world but like where is the uh nope you're still kids i don't want to send you out to do this but also this is a mission that seems really good for for these kids because they have one you know janora is a master at this point and and you know she's demonstrated clear capabilities in the past but i don't know it's interesting to think about this idea of being willing to send your children out to to do this work um I think it shows a, a lot of growth for Tenzin um, and his trust and capacity of, of delegation to others and trusting others. And Janor is a master, right? And, and yeah. Iki is inner, probably just barely a teenager. And, but also recognizing that like, what is a 12 year old to us as an audience member yeah. is different than maybe the 12 year olds of a capability of an airbender who's been in training and has gone through a whole lot over the last four years, five years. Um, and so, yeah, go go find Korra. <laughs> yeah. Still seems like a big ask in a world that feels relatively large. And this is my question is... I would equate it to going across country, right? Like, go to California, find your sister. <laughs> yeah. And, I, well, and that's really the question I'm asking is, there were a lot of other... If you want to send airbenders, there were a lot of other airbenders that we're studying with you three years ago that probably have three years of experience now. And they've probably learned a lot that are adults. <laughs> why, why not boomy? Right. And, yeah, maybe all, and maybe it is because they, we, we, we know that the air nation is stretched because we get that from Kai and, and Opal. So maybe they're the only three left. Yeah. And you know, it's also what I'm the, the other reason that I think they probably sent Janora particularly is we know that she has a spiritual connection with Cora and has been able to find her in the past. Um, and I think yeah. that has a lot to do with it as well. I think my move would be if I was, if I was planning 
Air Nation strategy, if you've got these little pair duos going around, is putting Icky and Milo in a pair uh, with other people and then pulling those like maybe more senior members to go with Janora would have been my move. Yeah. Uh, so like Janora and Boomy, you go. Yeah. And then Iki, you fill in for Boomy and Milo, you fill in for Hi, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it yeah. might be. But I don't know. And I, I guess like I, I, again, I am not a parent, but this idea of when do I start asking my children to do hard things? You know, I don't, I don't know. Don't ask me that in 10 years when I maybe have a child. because I don't know that answer. You know, like it's <laughs> in, like because my philosophy is probably going to be very different than my praxis. But my philosophy is like, you know, we got to let people make mistakes. When I was working with teens, like it was like, OK, uh, I'm going to work. They wanted to do something. I'm like, I don't think that's going to work. We want to do it anyway. OK, I'll walk with you along the way and we'll figure it out as it goes. And it crashes and burns. And I'm like, okay, we learned (laughs) like, and I I'm all about that. But at the same time, like the protection and protective nature that I would probably have if this were my child is something that I'd probably have to wrestle with. And it seems like, I guess it seems like Tenzin has done a lot of wrestling over the past couple of years that I was just like impressed that he was willing to send his children. Yeah. Yeah. True. That's not a judgment, I guess. It's no. more of a just an observation. It's like a I don't know if I would do that. It doesn't mean it's the right decision or wrong decision. It's just yeah, exactly it's interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. Well let's uh let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we will talk through our twee in law, our devotion and our gratitude. We'll be right back. back from our little break jumping straight into what is pushing us away and pulling us into this specific episode again it doesn't have to be something story-wise or something within the lens it can just be anything and so what is pulling you into this episode ben i love this episode i really like it all but you know the thing that really got me was we talked about it but this this really this moment where toff calls Cora out for resisting change is is such a like metaphor for so many things that I whenever I think about it uh, this is one of my favorite tough lines period is is this moment where and it's and it goes by so fast but I, I this is this is a big moment for me that I really really love that's mm, pulled me right in I agree that, that was my exact same moment I the, the stuff that does happen in the swamp I think is a really good part of this episode and and drives a lot of the themes forward and so Big fan of that. Um, what pushes me away is how similar the language Kuvira and her team uses and how accurately it represents <laughs> Western culture. Because um, it is it yeah. is dead on. We're, I provide stability. We're bringing freedom to people. And you're just like, <laughs> she calls it an empire. Like she, yep. she, she calls it an empire. And they're still like, yeah, no, we're bringing freedom to people by conquering them. <laughs> You're like, I need you to see how weird that is. Um, so yeah, that that's that's the push away is like uh which is also pulling, it's cheating because it's kind of a pull in as well. Like I love when cartoons actually form nice critiques around things. Exactly. It's uh, it's doing that, but yeah. Double edged sword of like this is too close to home, but also like I love how close to home it is. (laughs) Yeah. What pushes you away? Yeah, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but there's this moment where Prince Wu recognizes the work that Kuvira has done for for the Earth Nation and offers her the Kiyoshi Medal of 
freedom, I think it is. Um, and Kuvira just like this, this earth nation relic that is symbolizing so much. She just like crushes it with her earth or her metal bending. And I am torn because at once I am like, this is a symbol of, you know, <laughs> monarchy. This is something that is really problematic. And it's just entirely disrespectful of not just the the power and privilege of the monarchy, but also just the history of the Earth Nation and destroying something that is, especially in a world where all of these other relics have been destroyed, is that's something that was really precious. And it, I was I was really put off by the callousness of just destroying another relic in when there are just are so few left. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. that, you know what I mean? Like, it just felt oh. icky to me. Oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. What about you? Yeah, mine, again, mine was the the push oh, away from the. That's right, that's right. That's right. But yeah, it's uh no, I when the culture behind those pieces to see them just destroyed. But, but I think that's it's metaphorical for what she's doing, right? Like exactly. Yeah. I don't care about these. This isn't the, the, the style of norms that I'm looking for. So yeah, no, it's done. We're over it. Um, let's jump straight in. The, the devotion that we're going to think of our practice for this week is through the element of earth. Um, and mm. it is through the lens of transition and you, you're questioning around how do we garner awareness has made me think of mine. So I'm cheating, but mine is going to be to journal this week. That is a grounding practice to me. That is mm -hmm. one that um, I think really will, um, that, that helps navigate some transitions. It's nice to know where we are and have an awareness of that. So that when we engage in those transitions, we engage in the way that we want to show up. Right. So I think that's yeah. the, probably one of the things we didn't talk about is the way we set ourselves up for transitions allows us to engage in those things uh, with the people that we are engaging in those things with well. And that's a goal of mine, right? Not to snap at people, not to um, not to be callous with other folks, but to, to really be able to be through transition, um, whatever that may be, however hard that may be doing that with, with humility, grace, understanding, I think is important. So journaling is going to be mine this week. I'm here for it. I love it. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, you know, the metaphor that came to my mind when thinking about Earth is uh, transition points are uh, is another way of saying that these are like more vulnerable points for for people, um, because I, I, the, the easiest thing for me is like when uh, in our teen years, this is a huge transition from child to adult and it's a very vulnerable period because at once you're, you are being asked to do more adult things. And at the same time, you're being treated like a child. And what happens is it's more vulnerable because we are more likely to get hurt. Right. And because we're still learning what it means to be an adult, we're more likely to make mistakes. We're more likely to, to do things. And, you know, I think about, learning to walk is another example. Like I'm more likely to fall while I'm transitioning, like while I'm learning to fall, like to, to walk, I'm going to fall more often. And I, I think earth is when it is malleable enough to transition into a new shape, it means that it is malleable. It is shapeable. It is subject to the power of other forces. And I am like, how do I balance this? desire for flexibility with also this desire for um stasis and this like ability to be set and what I, what i'm realizing is that i am, am having to relinquish some power in order to embrace change and so and really release control really and so i i guess i my goal is to i want to be more open to change. Like I, I want to release some of the things that I have been controlling in my life so that I can start to do the things that I, that I want to do more of. Like, do I really, like I've been grappling with like whether I want to have a partner for a long time and what am I willing to, 
to change in order to have a new lifestyle that will accommodate that? Or I want to work out more. What do I need to change and release and be more vulnerable with in order to allow that change? And so I am going to have to do some thinking around what am I willing to give up? Yeah. And that's what I'm going to be thinking about this week. That was a long way of saying I need to think about it. But, but what an important thing to do, because I think there is an understanding of like, you know, if you want something, you've some there's a chance that you're going to have to shift things to get it. Um, yeah, there's you know, there's so only so many hours in a day. There's only so many things you can do. And if you want to make time for something else, then you're going to have to lose time somewhere. And it's a um, great example of this problem, right? Like I have the this, you know. I have metal in my body that I'm trying to get rid of, but I'm like, but I don't want to get rid of it because I like the way things are, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. and you know what I mean? That's that's what's going on. And I'm like, yeah. okay, how do I get rid of this metal? And what do I need to be willing to do in order to make that happen? Absolutely. Well, let's jump into gratitude. Who is the character from this episode that you are grateful for? Who's one that you want to lift up some gratitude for? You know, I am not often grateful for this character, but I am in this episode, and that is Mako. Yeah! <laughs> Dang like, it, that's so good, it should have been mine. Uh, I Like, Mako is awesome in this yeah. episode. He's got a level head on his shoulders, he asks great questions, he um, is really, like, curious and... Uh, kind with Bolin. He asks this really provides feedback to Prince Wu. And like, I, I'm just like all for Mako in this episode, like Mako in this episode as a silo. I'm like, Mako's great. What is what's everybody's problem? <laughs> uh, and, and I think it goes to show that like Mako has grown a lot um, in this time period. And I'm, I'm like, I'm here for it. Yeah, Mako is definitely the star character of this this last episode, I think, from from that aspect of things. Um, I'm going to give mine to Toph. I'm going to give mine to Toph. Yeah. Um, she does not have to help in any way, shape, or form. Um, and she does. Or she at least tries to. Um, and and so, yeah, she she's trying to help. Now, there might be some ulterior motives in it, but... Um, I think being willing to pull metal out of someone to, to help out is something that I'm grateful for. And, and ultimately I think for, um, for us as an audience, uh, when characters kind of return in meaningful ways, um, there is a joy of that connection that comes back. I don't need it every episode. This isn't the MCU. One of my complaints about yeah. the MCU right now is that like, you feel like you got to connect to everything. Like just chill, like just tell a good story and like chill. I'm fine with it. You don't always have to bring back that character from three movies ago. Like that doesn't have to happen. But in, the, yeah. in this moment, I think it works. Um, and so, yeah, my gratitude goes to Toph. One one of the things we didn't talk about with Toph that I really want to briefly mention is at the very beginning of the episode, Cora is talking about like the burden of the Avatar, and Toph is like, "The world doesn't need you." And there's something really cynical about that but also something that's really true about that. You know, I, I've been doing a little bit of research into the TTRPG Avatar Legends, and mm -hmm. um, it's been really neat to kind of dive into some of the scenarios that are happening because what, what it's doing is it's inserting stories of people resisting and doing good and creating balance for the world that isn't the Avatar, right? And what it's illustrating is that people are going to continue to do good and resist oppression, even if the avatar is not. And I think that there's this uh, historical and cultural uh, story that it must be the avatar or else that has created this burden for this person that Toph is saying, you do you, you're a human, you deserve to make this choice. You have the option to not do anything and it really is really beautiful that I'm, I, I love the freedom that that's offering Aura as an option of like, you don't have to do this. You it, like, you can, you are your own person. And I thought that was really beautiful. And I think that's another reason that I'm grateful for Toph. There's something insanely powerful about the understanding of like, you do not have to be Superman to make positive change. You do not have to be the avatar to make positive change. Yes. Um, and I think that's important for us to know sometimes like, who are we? I'm not a politician. I'm not a, Change. I'm not writing policies and I'm not yeah. 
I'm, I'm not, not extraordinary. Uh, right. I don't have the money to do. It's like you. There's still positive change that you can do in the world. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. But thank you, Toph, for giving us that lesson. Yeah. Look at you, Toph. Well done. Yeah. Well, this has been another great episode. Uh, you can find us on all the places: uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all the fun stuff. As we continue our final season of Bending Not Breaking, um, a few episodes left. More than a few. We've got probably what ten left. So, um, some great guests on their way to join us. Um, but thank you for being along for the ride. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon if you want some bonus content for a little bit. Um, there's some stuff there, some blog posts that are being written. We do live episodes uh, things. once a month. So there's a lot of cool stuff on there. Go check out our Patreon as well. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. I'm Ben Pruitt. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.